this is not Rush Limbaugh, and you're not listening to the Rush Limbaugh show, but it is the Don't Back Down show with Stan Casaccio, who is not with us today, Andy Tuttleman sitting in the left seat, and co-hosting for me is our executive producer, Liz Deal. We have an exciting show planned today for you. Uh, a return guest is uh, Dr. Stanley K. Ridgely, author of Brutal Minds, and we'll be turning to Dr. Ridgely in a moment to talk about the devastation to our school system starting from the top down and unfortunately now rising from the bottom up with the complete corruption and I guess communist discussion, is that even a word, uh, of the school system. Um, so they are in studio with us today. Uh, and um, so welcome to the show, Liz. Yeah, thank you. And welcome. Dr. Ridgely's wife is here, Lori, a friend. And thank you so much for coming. Lori Ridgely is with us also, who behind every successful man we know is this, a very strong woman. <laughs> Well, uh, yes, and I meant to introduce Lori at the beginning, and, and it just went right by me as I did my That's worst possible for. Rush Limbaugh <laughs> misimpersonation there. Uh, but uh, Dr. Ridgely does dedicate the work, to, uh, the book, to his wife, partner, and inspiration, and love of his life, which is Lori. So we're glad to have her join us in the studio today as well. you got to bring the mic down there, Lori. Yeah, there you go. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So, Dr. Ridgely, from the last time um, that you visited with us back in May, do you have anything to update us about concerning the sales of the book? I, I think it should be a bestseller, and I'm hoping that you can tell me that it is. Well, I can't tell you that it's selling as, as, as well as I'd like it to. Uh, you won't find me on the, the New York Times bestseller list, but it is selling steadily, and it is getting a kind of looks like, like an ink spot, where, you know, the ink spot begins to, to spread out, spread out, spread out, and begins to... Uh, to geometrically progress and, and, and as the book becomes more well-known. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm delighted with the, with the, the fact that the, the right people are reading the book, people whose uh, parents whose kids are going into college, uh, people, you know, college students themselves. And um, so there's always room for improvement, and I hope to, uh, that some of your audience right here will find the, the topic so intriguing that they'll want to at least pick up a copy of the book and thumb through it. Well, we will be offering two copies of your book signed by you to uh, callers uh, later in the show, but we're not going to start off that way. We want to bait them a little bit and make them listen to the interview. Uh, Maybe we should give a new introduction of the book for those who haven't listened last I, time. I was going to go oh, there. Oh, sorry. Well, well, you know, I'm just well, here no, to do it, take I'm it. just here to correct you. <laughs> exactly. I feel like we're married. My God. <laughs> no, no. So exactly. Can you give the audience a synopsis of what the book is about? The book is called Brutal Minds, the Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities. That may say a lot, but it doesn't say at all. Why don't you take the audience through the premise of the book? Sure. The word brainwashing may raise some eyebrows uh, with good with good um, uh, effect because it, it does, the book does address the issue of what is called thought reform or brainwashing in our higher education uh, system. Um, and when I say brainwashing, I mean uh, an intentional program that is designed by utilizing psychological manipulation and behavior modification to change the belief system of, in this case, our college students. Um, and it utilizes um, uh, techniques that were developed by the communist Chinese uh, and the North Koreans during the 1950s and 1960s, uh, quite explicitly so. Um, goes so it's, with, instead yeah. of Manchurian candidates, we're getting Manchurian graduates. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a fair, uh, a fair statement. And, and the fact is that it doesn't work on everyone. People who are thoroughly morally grounded and are aware that this is what's happening on the campuses can resist this type of thing. Uh, I should say that the only places in America that where the brainwash is actually used to any great extent is uh, with American-style cults and 
on the college campuses with regard to what is called social justice education. Both groups, American cults and social justice education, utilize these techniques, and they're very explicit about it. Uh, and I detail how they use the tech, who's doing it, what schools, where they're doing it, what the techniques are, who their targets are, who their victims are. So give us an example of what that means and maybe identify some of the schools that you think are the worst that are actually doing this to our students. Well, sure. I, I think that um, the, the techniques that are used are based on Kurt Lewin's three-stage model of the brainwash. Now, Kurt Lewin was an MIT sociologist, a fairly you know, reasonable guy back in the 1940s, and he developed what is called the encounter group. He's the guy who's the father of the encounter group. He developed a three-stage model whereby you could change someone's belief system. And he did this in preparation for changing the belief system of criminals. In other words, he wanted to prevent criminals from, you know, uh, sliding back into a life of crime. You know, very noble goal. And his three-stage model was unfreezing the belief system, re- changing it, and then refreezing it. Now, modern-day social justice educators are using the same techniques. They call it defending, surrendering, and transforming. They they uh, allude to uh, Kurt Lewin. They cite Kurt Lewin. They also cite a fellow by the name of Robert Keegan who gave it those three new names so they wouldn't, you know, k- get people uh, uh, looking askance at this. I should say that you've heard of the term re-education, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Kurt Lewin's the guy who invented that. He's the guy who created that term, uh, coined the term re-education. And it did not have the unsavory uh, I say connotation that it does now when he first created it. Um, but in the 1990s, social justice educators said, whoa, whoa, you know, we've got to stop using this re-education because it's obtained this unsaved, uh, justly unsavory reputation. As and, in re-education camps. Exactly. So they changed it to transformative education. And I should tell you that the Chinese, the Chinese communists have changed their term from re-education to education for transformation. So it's, it's, it's kind of everyone recognizes that the, the pejorative sense of this term, uh, you know, gains, it gains, the term gains, uh, you, you lose its utility because it's of right up there with diversity, equity and inclusion. Yeah, I was going to ask any of that. I yeah. wanted to ask, doctor, do you believe that these are the same trained Marxists that are teaching the CRTs in our school and uh, teaching the extreme radical training? Are they the same people? Yes. Without a doubt. So there's there's, there's no, from, there's no just, from from grade exactly. school to college. It's certainly all... they are. Yes, certainly they are. I don't, I don't want to be equivocal on this or say on the one hand and on the other. No, they're the very same people. The same people. Why? Because they come out of uh, higher education's education schools. Now, education schools funnel uh, our teachers down to the K through 12 uh, ranks in the public schools. The education schools also have what are called graduate programs, advanced degrees in things like student affairs, educational leadership, higher education management. This kind of tepid-sounding, anodyne-sounding All sounds real good, doesn't it? It sounds fantastic, you know, except for the fact that it is all thoroughly permeated with crypto-Maoist theory, uh, flying under the banner of a guy by the name of Paulo Freire. Uh, And I will say it's crypto-Maoist for very, very... You know, a simple reason that Paulo Freire was a Maoist. Paulo Freire was a Brazilian educator uh, who uh, had his heyday in the 60s and 70s. He was a Maoist, a Marxist, uh, and he basically cribbed a lot of what he has to say, had to say in his Pedagogy of the Oppressed, a book he wrote in 1970, and which is revered by education schools. He cribbed it from Mao Zedong's uh, education theory. He was a great, he being Freire, was a great admirer of Mao Zedong's cultural revolution and the idea of re-educating people who did not hew the party line. Uh, this, is not, this is not in dispute. In, uh, education school 
uh, faculty and administrators, they don't advertise the fact that they're they're providing Maoist slash Marxist education theory under the moniker critical theory, which is a uh, the form of the uh, Marxist neo-Marxism that arose from the Frankfurt School of Marxist critical theorists in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, um, and on they into give it today. Such- intellectual sounding yeah. names and then they changed just totalitarianism the name. rebranded yeah and then they changed the name right dei sel oh they 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 are all of the same the same uh, piece it's all all pieces the label continues to morph as the the people find out what they're doing they'll change the label to something else critical theory becomes critical pedagogy critical pedagogy uh, becomes uh, uh, critical race theory becomes diversity equity and inclusion so you're listening to the Don't Back Down show hosted today by Andy Teitelman with Liz Deal, our executive producer in the right seat. Stan is not here with us today, but he's doing very well. And we're talking to Professor Stanley K. Ridgely from Drexel University and the author of Brutal Minds, The Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities. We will be giving away two copies of the book, Brutal Minds. So for those of you so inclined or if you have a question for Dr. Ridgely, call us at 888 888- Three two nine three three zero six, and the copies we'll be giving away will be custom autographed to uh, our winners. So again, the call-in number is eight 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 three two nine three three zero six. So, Doctor Ridgely, um, as a professor at a major university, Drexel University is one of the well-known schools in Philadelphia. What has the, been the reception of your colleagues to your book? <laughs> well, mainly- they laughed at you. No, 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 mainly silence. They haven't got the, well, no, I'm going to talk about that one. Uh, now, there's been very little reception uh, in, in public. There's been a lot of private reception in terms of people who uh, really embrace the book and say it's about time that we've seen this type, this type of thing. Uh, even faculty who have, uh, who have uh, their, their sons and daughters at the university um, are, are delighted that this type of thing is being uh, revealed I should say that students come to me uh, fairly frequently um, to ask me questions about the type of material that they're being presented and why not they're they're not being presented, uh, say the entire picture with regard to uh, the topic or the subject matter that they are that they are dealing with now. Now, I didn't expect. I'm not surprised at the uh, reception because one of the worst things that these folks, meaning the left, um, and I'm referring to the left across the board in the colleges and universities around the country. One of the worst things they can possibly do is acknowledge that this is indeed going on. Um, I should tell you that the book is thoroughly footnoted, thoroughly cited. Uh, it, in fact, I had to cut the book's footnotes down from 850 down to a more manageable approximately three or 400 uh, because of the publish- at the publisher's request. No, this book is in their words. This book is – it quotes extensively from their, their words, their lectures, their conferences, their books, their articles. Uh, every point that I make is substantiated. And it's um, – the uh, uh, this substantiation uh, is, you know, is virtual on every page. So if they, meaning the are good people on the radical left, were willing to acknowledge – what's being said here, then they would have to discuss it. And they are not willing to discuss it or be faced with the fact that education schools are thoroughly permeated with Marxist, neo-Marxist, Frarian, Maoist ideology. That is beyond a shadow of a doubt. And everybody else is afraid to confront it. I'm not, I can't question the motives of my esteemed colleagues, but I don't see a whole lot of people lining up behind me to confront this type of thing. And and you said it's their own mantra, their um, motto, their own motto. Sorry, boldly transforming. Yes. 
Well, the, the motto is boldly transforming higher education. That is the motto of a bureaucratic group of off-campus, a professional guild called, uh, it's a student affairs association. It's called the ACPA, American College Professionals uh, of America. Uh, I'm sorry, the American Association of College. One of those, one of those names, right? It's ACPA. And uh, their mantra, their, their comment, or their, I should say that their slogan is boldly transforming higher education. Well, who are these people who want to boldly transform higher education. They are student affairs people from the campuses who are part of this, this, um, uh, this group. They're not faculty. They're not faculty in any, any sh- way, shape, or form. Now, some of them may claim to be faculty because they teach in the programs that train these bureaucrats, and they are located, of course, in schools of, of education. That's scary. Yes. They have no, they have no brief to, to transform anything. Uh, they're not but an agenda. But an agenda, and they are they are they being these groups, the NASPA, the NASPA, and ACPA, uh, or uh, ACPA, are both thoroughly permeated with uh, ideology. I cite them numerous times in the book. Their journals, their conferences, their guest speakers. Uh, they pub- some of them publish books, and they're all candidate to the extreme left. So how many campuses have you been invited to to speak about your book, Brutal Minds? <laughs> well, those invitations are starting to come in, but not from campuses, I, I should say. I, I don't expect that. Um, I, I don't uh, – I, I can't imagine what a, such an event would look like. I really can't. Not even from like Hillsdale or Liberty? Well, that, that will come down the line, I'm, I'm sure, as the book gains traction. People become aware of it, and more and more people every single day are becoming aware of the book. So, Stanley K. Ridgely, what has been the response to the people you report to at Drexel University, uh, the deans and the other administrators that uh, supervise your department? Mm-hmm. Have you heard back from them at all today oh. about the book? Well, no, I, I don't expect to. Uh, I don't expect to because I think it, it, that along with my book, along with my website, BrutalMinds.com, I publish a lot of blogs and I publish on American greatness and in Mind the Campus um, and Epic Times. And, and so those publications appear as well. Now, I've had um, uh, pushback uh, in the sense that there's an awful lot of people who prowl my LinkedIn profile. Now, they apparently are unaware that I can see who's prowling my LinkedIn profile. And I love this because I find these DEI people especially Uh. are constantly coming on. And this is not just from from my own university, but from around the country. Um, They are alerted, perhaps. Perhaps I I do think that they talk to each other. And they come onto my website and I I duly screenshot their appearance on my site (laughs) to the extent where I'm not going to name any names. But I had to... uh, report one person at my university for stalking me. Hmm. Um, they were on my um, LinkedIn profile so often during the business day that it became a point of, uh, it became quite weird. Um, and so I had to, uh, I had to go through the process of, uh, the, the juridical process of reporting that. So talking about naming names, let's talk about some of the universities. Can you give sure. us a list of the top 10 worst in terms of this communist indoctrination program, no matter what other name they want to call it by, 
and the 10 best that you can think of in terms of still doing what liberal arts was supposed to be, which teaching teaching people how to think by reading the great thinkers, the books, and, and, and learning how great minds work instead of being indoctrinated. So the 10 worst and then the I'll 10 best. I have to best. guess Harvard. That's an easy guess, right? Well, I, I, I tell you, I have to that, – that, you know, you're being too uh, – you're underestimating the numbers of schools that probably need to be on that list. But you're also well, – We only have an hour. You're, you're, <laughs> you're overestimating the number of schools that will be on the list of schools that are, are not affected by – So start by with the state. short list. The yeah, short list, I, of, course, of course, I would say, of course, it, it, it's, it's got to be Hillsdale, uh, of course, because of its, its principled stand on not taking federal dollars – uh, and its principal stand has – I'm a business professor, so I'm very uh, attentive to brands. And Hillsdale has a marvelous brand. They actually stand for something. They stand for intellectual integrity. They stand for the traditional liberal arts education. They stand for logic, reason, progress, the use of the scientific method. Everything the Enlightenment University um, was created to express, the idea of passing along a patrimony of the best has been thought and said – um, to subsequent generations and also acting as a kind of a crucible, not a crucible, I would say an arena of knowledge where diverse opinions can come, can, can make their case and they can be embraced or they can be shown the door if they're, not, if they're found wanting. That is completely different from the, the schools in the other list that uh, we're talking about. I, let me give you a few more schools. College of the Ozarks is one, I think. Grove City uh, University. New College in, uh, in Florida is is being transformed by the good graces of the uh, the uh, boards of trustees. Um, by so, the, uh, so there's some schools that are going back to center. And, yes. Wow. Yeah. 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 New College is the school that was uh, completely, uh, uh, I would say, you know, uh, permeated with uh, leftist, radical leftist ideology, and the the board of trustees um, under the impetus of the state legislature in Florida said, "This is an, enough. Is enough." Uh, this type of uh, ideological cant or tilt has become so pervasive so that there's no room for any other type of uh, doctrine, creed, uh, mantra, uh, philosophy, if you will. Uh, but moving over to the list of schools, this, it's, not, it's not hard to pick out schools that are affected by this type of, uh, this type of radical leftist um, ideology neo-Marxist, crypto-Maoist ideology, and the reason that these schools are so infested with and the reason that progress seems so tenuous, seems so fleeting, is because it's really not the faculty that's driving it. It is the bureaucracy. I'll tell you why. Sam Abrams, a professor at Sarah Lawrence College, said his recent recent research showed that there was a six-to-one can't or a tilt of faculty from left to, to right perspective. Six faculty leftist, one faculty, say, conservative. I was still looking for those other conservatives. I can't I was find just going them. to say that sounds very generous to well, the conservative side. Well, it's <laughs> six to one. And, and if you look at specific uh, departments, you'll find that the ratio is a lot greater left to, to right. But that, and that's we can deal with that. I can deal with that. Most of these folks who are on the left are liberals, traditional liberals. They're the reasonable people. They're very smart people. So I enjoy being on the college campus. You deal with smart people on a, uh, a daily basis. You also deal with a lot of people who think they're smart. And these people are located in the bureaucracy. Okay. And Sam Abrams, the same guy who did this study, did another study, and he found that the uh, liberal to conservative ratio was twelve to one in the bureaucracy. And that the bureaucracy that I'm referring to is really student affairs. Why should this be so? It's because the education schools are cranking out these graduates steeped in crypto-Maoist ideology, uh, Paulo Freire ideology, 
And these people are moving into jobs created just for them in the bureaucracy. And these people are then begin to teach, they actually teach, in what's called a co-curriculum. This is a parallel curriculum of workshops and uh, seminars and fake classes. In other words, you have fake faculty teaching a fake, a fake curriculum, sometimes offering a fake transcript. Um, and uh, it, if I can just really just devol- you know, just re- refer to my wife right here, uh, she can tell uh, a, a quick story of, 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 of my university's uh, School of Education. I wasn't going to name the university. I was just going to tell you that um, I'm a science teacher 35 years at junior high and high school level. I've been a science fair director for 35 years at the local and regional levels. And so I went to the School of Education here to find out what was required of me to be certified to teach in Pennsylvania after I had seen the scores compared to the nation. They're hurting here. So I thought, well, you know, what can I do to help? I miss teaching. I love my students. What can I do? Well, I went in there. There were two young ladies working the front desk at the School of Education. And I said, hey, I'm from Florida. What do I need to do to get certified here? And they handed me the sheet, and it just had bullet points. And I'm reading down the Two sheet. Two things, right? You needed yes. a pulse and a Democrat well, registration card. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what I thought, right? But I, I had a desire. I'm not um, insulting your tech. <laughs> no, 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 I totally I, get just, it. I'm talking about the standards, not your qualifications. I totally get it. Uh, but what I found was about third on the list was this statement that said, tell all white kids to get to the back of the line. And I went, what? what? Exactly. Out loud. You've got to be kidding me. And I looked at them. And they said, uh, no. I said, wait a minute. I don't tell any kids to get to the back of the line unless they're cutting in line. I said, uh, so what you're telling me then is that I have to get trained in critical race theory? And they said, oh, no, we're not saying that. I said, no, and that's exactly what you're saying. I think we're done here. And I walked home. I told Stan, I don't think I'm teaching in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm done. And I think that's a very uh, poignant example of the kind of thing, you know, when the, where the rubber meets the road where people are actually uh, – coming in contact with the bureaucracy, in this case, uh, an educational bureaucracy. And the, and the fact is, I, I think that uh, – what, what are people learning when I say, when I say crypto-Maoist and you know, when I say Maoist theory or Marxist or neo What do I mean by that? Well, it's basically a collectivist theory that uh, runs under the general title of social justice education. And those people who teach social justice education are probably the most guilty. No, I won't say probably. They are that, the most guilty. That's right up there with Patriot Act in terms of being an mm-hmm. accurate description of what it's describing. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it does nothing about about justice in social justice education. These are the primary purveyors of the brainwash on the campus. And when I say the brainwash, I was referring earlier to the psychological manipulation and, and a use of deception, behavior modification to change someone's belief system. And I have manuals uh, on this. I have a collection of uh, well over 100 books uh, put out by uh, the radical left, uh, put, you know, published by Stylus Publishers, Verso Publishers, Polity Publishers, Haymarket Books. There's a whole genre of, of these books, and I read them, I review them, and most of them are quoted, cited in brutal minds, in their own words. And I, I will tell you right now, I welcome anyone to correct me and correct this book. Uh, if you find an error of fact in it, a, a, a false citation, a false quotation, please do let me know and I'll correct it in, in, in a very public manner. We'll but take you it one not. step further. Yeah. I, I, and you, have, you haven't agreed to this yet, but I would love to have someone who thinks they have a counterpoint to you join us on this program in the future and have an open debate. We'll open up our studio. 
give you all the time you need to have an open debate with an opponent who thinks that Brutal Minds is not the true story of what's going on in higher education. Good luck finding Today. one. You're not going to find one. That you're you're right, and that there probably would be people reluctant to. But uh, you know, the the type of that type of thing would have to address the central points of brutal minds. And what you'll find, I think, that you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, Liz, uh, DEI. Well, there are two types of DEI: the front stage and backstage DEI. Um, it's sometimes called the Mott and Bailey fallacy, but I'm going to stick with front stage, backstage. Mott and Bailey. Mott, the Mott and Bailey. Fallacy. This okay. is the idea that I'm going to present a very defense. I'm going to present a radical proposition to you, and you're going to you're going to come back at me and say, "Well, that's that's, that's terrible." You can't be saying, and I will immediately retreat to uh, to the secondary position. You negotiate a slightly softer position, exactly. pulling me into the exactly. Say, "Well, no, no, process. no, no, that's not what we mean." If, if people, if you ask people what diversity means, the average person will say something along the lines of the traditional Enlightenment version. They'll say, "Well, it's a diversity of thought, opinion. The university yeah. should be welcome welcoming this right here." It's a great word it is if great it meant word. what it meant it's malleable it's like equity and equality it's yeah it's, it's uh it, and so what we find is there's front stage dei which is basically allowing people to define dei the way they want to oh it, and who could be against that but the actual dei that is animating what goes on in in dei offices diversity offices is a completely different it's a noxious ideology uh grounded in critical race theory and the idea it's a binary uh, I would say Manichaean system where good and evil, uh, exploiters and exploited, oppressors and oppressed, the children of the light and the children of the dark. And you are designated or put into one of these two categories by virtue of one thing, and that is your ethnicity. That is your race, I should say, the color of your skin. And I should tell you that it is, it is pseudoscience at its worst in the sense that every time you come up with a disconfirmation of the so-called theory – They'll come up with a rescue hypothesis or a spin, mm -hmm. very much like medieval astronomers used to do when they were trying to challenge the uh, – uh, they felt that the uh, Earth-centered universe was being challenged. They spin out an alternative yeah. hypothesis. And I'll give you a perfect example very of this. Very narcissistic. Yes, yes, it is. And here's an example, uh, a perfect example of this. And you'll see – you can see this yourself. If um, someone says, well, you know, um, I have you – know, there are numerous black scholars who disagree with the premises of uh, this – popularization of DEI. Uh, people like Glenn Lowry, people like John McWhorter, and a host of others, Thomas Sowell, a host of others. Well, they'll say, well, those scholars that you cite have internalized the, uh, the oppression that they've been inflicted with. This is why they, they, they express the colonizer's point of view. As soon as they are disabused of this colonizer's point of view and achieve what we call critical consciousness as opposed to false consciousness, uh, then they will agree with the, uh, the, uh, the views that uh, we espouse here uh, with regard to diversity, equity, inclusion, critical theory, critical pedagogy, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Social, emotional so, so it's basically anything you say, anything that this theory says can be defended by simply tweaking the theory and, saying, and explaining, explaining it away. Uh, this is very much like Marxism. It's very Karl Popper, the famous... Um, philosopher of science pointed out that that Marxism is pseudoscience, uh, psychotherapy pseudoscience, and anti-racism slash DEI is also pseudoscience for the very same reason. It's not falsifiable, and every time you show a disconfirmation or show it to be wrong, they will spin out another auxiliary hypothesis to express this 
disconfirmation. The, the only thing I haven't heard is something Martin Luther King made so famous, and I imagine he's rolling in his grave because for all the progress he made through his generation, through a lot of you – know, people forget how harsh the 60s were for so many reasons, mm-hmm. not the least of which were the race riots, and how far this country had come until we got shoved backwards into sure. racial exclusionism mm-hmm. in, the, in, in the opposite direction. Somehow that doesn't make it any more right after we finally pulled ourselves out of – and it wasn't perfect. There are always going to be racists of some sort or another. There can be black racists who – hate whites. It, it, it makes me think of um, Archie Bunker and um, who was the dry cleaner? Uh, I don't know. His, it was Jefferson. A, Jefferson, right. Oh, and, moving and, on and, up. And, and, and right, the, the two of them together, Archie was a white racist and Jefferson was a black racist. And together they showed you how stupid racism was no matter which direction it came from or what angle it was aim, aimed at. Yeah. So, and here we are. We, we just we are sliding backwards. Right. And and I don't think the average person in this country is buying into this nonsense. You you, mm. you meet up with black person, you're not they're not looking at you like you're some evil devil white person. And I never look at a black person and think, oh, they're black, therefore something or something or something. It, none of that ever happens. You just deal with them the same way you would deal with anybody anyway. I think part of the problem also is like for, I know in my school district because I fought against this at the school boards for years, and they they had DEI in place and a whole program and a whole committee and they did not expose it and so we were able to get rid of it through the fight but then then it's back it's just it's never ending and they uh we caught them making false police reports so the police what they said that happened was uh the child was black and he was yelling out the window um uh, I, but somebody was insulting him and a racist remark, and he was. He, and we proved that that never actually happened. It was never called in. It never happened. So they put this false agenda, mm. and people think that mm. you're a racist when you're not because of this false information they keep putting out. So we will be right back with Stanley K. Ridgely, his wife Lori, who I'm going to chastise for not getting in, back into education in Pennsylvania. Yeah, we need you. Right after these commercial break. The first picture online when selling your home is of the outside. So what outside photo do you want to show when your home goes on the market? One showing lush landscaping with beautiful flowers and trees blooming or one with snow on the ground? Diane Cardano here from the Cardano team. One of my top home selling strategies is to take beautiful, eye-catching exterior photos of your home when it looks its best on the outside and then store them in the computer until you're ready to list your home. Why not have eye-catching photos showcasing the beauty of your home anytime you put it on the market? Now's the perfect time to capture your home's beauty as spring is here and summer's coming. Call me, Diane Cardano, to reserve your free photo shoot. We'll take stunning exterior photos that will lure hundreds of potential buyers to request the showing, and you'll have multiple offers, and then I'll negotiate the price up thousands over asking. Make your home stand out, give it a chance to sell for top dollar, and put money in your pocket. Call 215-576-8666 or go to DianeCardano.com. Listening 
to the Don't Back Down show, hosted today by Andy Tuttleman. And sitting in the right chair is our executive producer, Liz Deal. Stan is Stan will be back with us next week. And in studio with us today are Stanley K. Ridgely, Ph.D., a professor at Drexel University, and his wife, Lori Ridgely. Um, Stan wrote the book Brutal Minds, The Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities. And before turning back to Dr. Ridgely, I just want to say, Lori, I regret the fact that you allowed that horrendous checklist of items that included uh, having the white students go to the back of the line to stop you from infiltrating this horrible system. And because you'd be a wonderful teacher here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And we have friends um, who, who refuse to be – who are teachers, and it's very difficult for them in the public schools. But the one thing that I've learned from our friends who do that work is there are more – public school teachers than they will ever let on through the unions or the administrations of those schools who believe like we do about what education should be. They're just worried about their pensions. They're, they're scared to stand up for what's right. And that's one of the reasons why we have allowed these infiltrated school boards to, uh, to destroy um, our, our once great education system. So, so I hope you'll reconsider. Yeah, go ahead. It's your turn. Well, I'm going to make a comment on that. I, I'll accept that chastisement. All right, and I'm, <laughs> I miss teaching, but I am tutoring a young man in physics for this this school year, so it gives me a little interaction with at least a student. But instead, I am vice chairman of Moms for Liberty here in Philadelphia. Nice. We just opened oh, a new we didn't chapter. know that. Yes, we just uh, we're only That's a little about wonderful. three and a half months old. Um, and so I'm, I'm going you, that did way. Did you meet I know Jamie I Tromba? You were at an event with us last May, and did you, you talk to Jamie? And, and, I sure did. And Vicki okay. Slannery from Montgomeryville? Actually, I went to a meeting, yes, in um, Montgomery County, with and Vicky. that's when I decided I needed to do something. I said, look, there's right. nothing in Philadelphia. I'm willing to start one if uh, there's Good nothing going on. She grabbed me by the hand and introduced me to <clears throat> excuse me, Sheila Armstrong, uh-huh. <clears throat> excuse me, so who is the uh, chairman here and a uh, very strong black woman. Love working with her. So I'm working with her in that, and also. Well, the- I take back my chastisement because that's. <laughs> that's thank you. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. We we just had on the show, Lori. I don't know if you saw the show. We had the uh, head Tia of Bess. mom. Yeah, Tia Bess was on. We our host. Oh, Tia is my friend. She's oh, from Duval County, Florida. I wish Florida. I would have known. I'm yeah, from Florida. She lives two miles from Look my mom. Look at that. Yes. She was just on the show what three weeks ago. Wonderful. And yeah. Wonderful. She young spoke lady. about the um, the SEL. Oh, she spoke about things that nobody else could speak about, how they were uh, deeming them racist, uh, Moms for Liberty. Absolutely. They were calling us, you know, terrorist and uh, hate group and all of that. And I just mentioned it to my neighbor. Uh, we live in a minority neighborhood. And I've lived there now for seven years. And I was talking to my neighbor's son. And I mentioned something about Moms for Liberty. He goes, oh, what? That hate group. Uh-huh. I said, young man, you've known me for seven years. Do I hate you? Do you hate me? Exactly. I don't think so. Let me show you something. In fact, I have Tia's book that her daughter was required to read with me right now. And I oh. showed him one of the pornography pictures in the book. And I said, this is what we're doing. We're not out about whatever you're hearing. The propaganda is wrong. Let me tell you. His mouth fell open. And I asked him, does this belong in schools? And he said, no. I said, well, how, how, that's old, what how old is this? He's, th- he's 37. This, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> this is just, this is exactly what your husband's saying. We need to get the word out. And what a perfect marriage. I mean, you guys are married, but then you are doing, you know, a perfect spinoff of what your husband's doing. Like, congratulations for doing that in all places, Philadelphia. You guys are real warriors. That's Thank you. You're probably very kind of alone. I mean, you have well, a, I would you say, that, you know, Lori, is out, she's out on the front lines. Uh, the Moms of Liberty had their national summit here in Philadelphia about four yeah. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And um, 
uh, Lori and her co-chair, uh, or I should say the chairman, uh, Sheila Armstrong, were confronted outside the um, the, the venue by uh, that was in Center City, Philadelphia, yes, wasn't it, it? Yes, it was. Yeah, they were confronted the and surrounded. They were surrounded, and uh, the by, police, by who were they surrounded by? Transgender Sorry. activists um, shouting in their faces, waving in their uh, physically mm-hmm. accosting them. The police refused to intervene, um, and I arrived on the scene. Uh, luckily for them. Just as they had been, the police did intervene. Were you in high heels? uh, (laughs) No, no, I was not. Uh, No, I was not. Um, But I'll say that I envy uh, Lori. She's a she's a warrior, and she's uh, out on the front line. She's a veteran. She's been blooded now. She's seen. uh, She's not. It's one of those things where I I go on talk shows and people say, "You know, what are we actually doing?" I said, "Well, Lori's actually doing something. You know, she's actually a veteran of one of these confrontations. Not something she sought, but something that was thrust upon her and 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 Sheila." Um, the, uh, for simply being there. And that yeah, is, definitely. um, yeah. So, so Lori, what was more threatening, the men in the dresses or the women in pants? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, well, actually, you don't have to answer. What, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to answer when uh, Sheila and I had to leave early. And, and I'll tell you, this, this is a story. Sheila asked me if I would be in the black conservative federation with her. She started this organization. Trump heard about it and wanted to come meet with them. So wow. we were leaving the Moms for Liberty early so that we could go to Pat's Steakhouse and meet Trump. He was coming there. I after thought that I saw you on that, didn't I? Contact her. I you thought did. I saw you on video. Was that you? Uh, uh, probably. No. Yes. So, so That's you went exciting. and had a cheesesteak so, with President Trump? Well, well no. What, what, what I want to tell you? <laughs> no, no. I had the most important question. What kind of cheese? Because I ha- if it's American cheese, I'm not voting for. No, it. no. Listen, they. I, I, I don't know what that was. I wasn't going to eat it. I, saw, I mean, I wanted to keep it. Is what I'm called cheese was. I, I have it. I have it in my freezer, and I wrote, "President Trump brought us." Bought us dinner. You may wow. see this, and yeah. I have that. Did he sign it? That's very no, he sweet. Didn't, didn't he, he buy didn't. buy it for everybody? Like the whole yes, crowd. Yes, the whole, he's the whole am- crowd. Isn't he is. Amazing. He's amazing. But uh, what I want to tell you is, we left early, and that's I hated going out there because there were all those protesters. Yeah. And so we walked out, and I said, "Look, my husband's gonna. He's not gonna be here for ten minutes. It wouldn't be prudent to walk out mm-hmm. into this." I said. So I told the police officer at the door. I said at, at the door of the Marriott, "We're gonna wait right here with you." I said. Now I'm looking at those guys that are harassing us right now. Looks like I could beat them arm wrestling. But I'm not willing to risk it. I'm, we're in dresses. We're not dressed for street fighting. So well, we, neither were they. No, no. Well, they were in dresses too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but, no, uh, he can't help himself. It's too easy. <laughs> I can't take it, okay? I'm willing to leave people alone to their own devices. Right. You want to go ahead and live that way? We that's fine. Care. Stop forcing it on me. Well, I didn't care either, but we were surrounded. Well, we couldn't move. So I'm leaning into her thinking I'm not going to let any of these guys get in between us. Uh, pushing us around just a little bit. One was tapping me with his water bottle, took everything I had to not react. He was tapping you? He, he tapping these me people with his are water trained bottle. to push and, you to the brink yeah. and let oh, you they did. explode. They did. One tried to grab my That's phone. True. I said, you don't want to make that mistake. Well, after five minutes of it, and I had it on video, I also, he called me and said, where are you? I'm waiting for you. I said, well, we're surrounded by guys. Uh, can't get out of here. And I left it on speaker so he could hear it. Now, he didn't know what was actually happening, but he could hear the words. It was ugly, ugly stuff. And you videoed this. I, I, I did. Good for you. Yeah, and I kept telling myself, remember, you're representing God. You're representing Moms for Liberty. Watch, so so, watch so these people but, who want equal treatment, Lori, mm-hmm. what, without using foul language, the curse words, I oh, should say. Oh, they were pretty bad. Mm-hmm. What kind of – give us a sample of what they're – these people who want to be treated equally, how they were treating you. What were they saying to you? Uh, hate has no home here. God hates yeah, you. Right. But they're using the F word with all of it, okay? Yeah. God, God hates, hates you. you. God loves transies better. Um, your kids are going to hate you, this kind of thing. 
And, wow. um, you know, I, after five minutes of it, I, I looked over to police officer and I said, because they were just standing there, I said, look, if my husband, former military intelligence, comes around that corner and sees us surrounded by guys getting pushed around a little bit and you're doing nothing, things are going to escalate quickly. He will chest them up, take them down, and I will not be able to stop him. Do you think you can help here? He would get arrested. He would. Yeah, because he would chest up. Good for you, yeah, Dr. I, I know he would. I have no, no doubt. But that's well, she what saw they... me do it the day before. Uh, yeah, he with... did have to do it the day before I was on the uh, But isn't Korean that what news? they want? Aren't they trying to set you up to do that? Isn't that what happened, you know, with Mark Halk? They they put they came at his son, and now, you know, they just no hold doubt. that against you. No doubt. But the police, one of the police officers, there were five of them, he walked up and said, hey, I'll, I'll walk you to your husband's car. I said, well, great. So I'm grabbing Sheila and... We're heading to the car, and uh, as soon as we got to the car, Stan jumps out and goes chasing, trying to find the guys. I go, look, there's hundreds of protesters. You're not going to know who did it. Get back he here. He started running? He's, he jumped out of the car because he was going to go you take care of that. surprises. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, no, that's all no. we need. Uh, and then some guy came and knocked on my window while my husband was gone. At this point, I'm just irritated. You're I rolled right. it down, and I said, what? I'm sitting in the car waiting to, to we just want to leave but with all the barricades it's hard to get out of there and the guy said look uh i was just getting ready heading out to lunch and i heard all this yelling and screaming i saw you ladies surrounded by guys and uh, i just want to say I, I really admire you for standing up to these men and uh thank you for what you do to our children or for our children and i just i look back see at, at sheila and, and we just said uh, thank you and the cop wrote, said that? No, the, oh. some guy. Some guy that he just he knocked on step the window. In and I, that's what I said. I, I said. He simply showed how much he respected them from afar. But wow. no one stepped in to help us. You know, that's why and I just thought, our, what happened And to that's men? our best in Philadelphia. Exactly. We'll take yeah. something. Yeah. Well, at least yeah. you got that much out. Well, I, I feel like a real Philadelphian now, right? I'm in the middle yeah. of yeah. Uh, chaos. I got, some I got of those guys for defending him. Meet some of those folks from the 700 section at the... It, yeah, where the where did the leather lung people go? That's a great that's a great question. I haven't been to a ball game of any kind since uh, the vid crisis came around. Because well, even before that, with people kneeling down instead of uh, giving the national anthem, I have completely lost respect for professional sports. It's nothing but a waste of time and a very expensive distraction. But turning back to brutal mo- – oh, I'm sorry, Lori. Well, I, I was just going to interject there. Um, you know I'm a former NFL cheerleader yes, for the Tampa for the, Bay Buccaneers. Yes. I still have to pull for the Bucks. I do try to pull for the Eagles once in a while. But, yes, I'm with you on the sports thing. It's there was disgusting. a time when it was great entertainment. It was great fun. You could root for something. But it used to stand for American values. Yeah, yeah it did. Now they don't even kneel for American values. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm disgusted with the entire professional sports But scene. we can't give up. We have to, no? we have to show up. And speak up. So, so Dr. Ridgely, turning back to brutal minds, the dark, the dark world of left-wing brainwashing in our universities, uh, boy, we can see some of the motivation for why uh, you wrote this book. How does this whole transgenderism thing and all the other, I don't get the alphabet soup of genders and sexual identities, which are now being foisted on our children, how does that play into brutal minds? Well, I'll take you back to 2020, which um, opened the door for an awful lot of this stuff for various reasons, the tragic death of uh, George Floyd. Uh, The left, radical left, the the ones who are never let a crisis go to waste, saw their opportunity. And you found universities around the country that had absolutely nothing to do with what happened in Minnesota, have absolutely nothing to do with – what police do to suspects anywhere. Suddenly universities in the guise of presidents uh, expressing contrition 
and expressing their part in the university's part in what they call systemic institutional personal racism. And the left seized this opportunity as a chance for the to inject uh, and this open window to inject their uh, leftist philosophy and act uh, and basically animate it and make it for and make it happen to begin to assume these positions uh, in the bureaucracy and to create new positions in the bureaucracy, such as these DEI, which parallels, I should say, the old NKVD political commissariat, which is a parallel bureaucracy that was in the Soviet Union that was designed to keep political watch on uh, the military, while at the same time uh, owing fealty to their own hierarchy, all the way up to the DEI, say, provost of DEI, that kind of thing. The idea being to maintain a watch on the faculty, to maintain a watch on students and other staff to ensure political loyalty. That's what DEI offices are all about. Um, the, um, from what I've seen, DEI offices are totally permeated with the, uh, with the sociological uh, views of uh, critical Maoist theory. They don't even know it's critical Maoist for the most part. They simply know that critical theory has been adapted to critical race theory, which has been adapted to this noxious binary um, uh, racialism. I call it critical racialism that I've told you about, that I told you about earlier. Didn't Obama have a whole lot to do with pushing this along? I couldn't speak to that issue. Okay. Well, isn't it all in the, um, you know, corporations now too it's not yeah. just the schools so because i know people that say i'm not going to be able to keep my job if i don't take that class and i also know people right. that say i quit because i'm not taking that but i'm you, not teaching that i'm not pushing that and they won't let you work usually in Wisconsin, human resource offices uh which are the you know, that's the province of um uh, diversity equity inclusion and now belonging um i should say this is a motto it's kind of a mantra it's it's very cult-like if you look at the unification church it's commonly called the moonies they're they utilize these recruitment techniques and these brainwashing techniques and been very, very good at it. And, and the um, anti-racist movement on the campuses utilized in social justice education utilizes these very same techniques. I, I don't mean they use something similar. The very, the very same, same techniques. One of the, you know, the motto for the Moonies is peace and unity. This is um, uh, one of the things they always advocate. Well, who can be against peace and unity? I mean, it's, it's a very attractive thing for a young person who is seeking. It can be very intoxicating. And I like the orange robes and the hairdo too, <laughs> but that's that's just me. Well, I, that may be the, the that may be the Hari Krishna group, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you're that's right. All, you're right. And that's almost like saying, I get my cults confused. Well, well the the fact like saying trust me. Anybody who says well, trust me, well, like, they're very good. Thank you so much for that lead in because that's what they do. The 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 cults. And social justice educators both inculcate a feeling of trust. And they do this by playing games and opening, giving an open-armed kind of acceptance. Now, the Moonies do what's called love bombing. And this is the idea that, Mr., that, that Andy Tettleman, we're going to bring you in. And suddenly, you are in the midst of the most agreeable, likable, loving people you've ever met in your life. That's a sociopath. Yeah, every joke you tell is funny. You're you have a beautiful singing voice. You're handsome. Your sense of style. It's working. It's, like, it's, like it's working. Like, you better stop. It's like being on this radio show. Yeah, yeah. Your sense of style <laughs> is absolutely working. fantastic. My God, you've got a great radio voice. Have you ever thought about going in showbiz? Everything. And then people, the recruits say, "Well, this is. I've never been in a more loving group than my entire life." Well, this is exactly what so. Social justice educators do. They treat, try to create this sense of love, this sense of acceptance, this sense of um, trust. You use that word trust. They want to build this idea of trust. 
I tell students, this is a red flag. When someone on a college campus, you've just arrived on the campus and you go to a session of whatever the session is, uh, call it a privileged walk, you know, and you're being asked very personal questions and you're being urged to exhibit trust to your students left and right, to the facilitator. And they'll say, model, I'm going to model vulnerability. We hear that phrase. They're going to model, vul- why don't you make yourself vulnerable? I say, you know, you keep your mouth shut and get the heck out of there. Okay. These people mean you no good. They are setting you up for the brainwash to come by getting you to trust them when there's no reason whatsoever to trust them. That's really great information. I wish I would have known that when I was younger with all the, the cults like churches that, you mm-hmm. know, that's it's so dangerous and it's so upsetting. And thank thank you so much for speaking up, reading up. It's a lot of reading articles, books, and, and sharing that. How can we get involved? How can we make a difference? Just, you know, I, we great could join question. Moms for Liberty, but I mean, besides speaking up, what, what can we do? Well, I would say is to inform yourself. Uh, because not only uh, my book is written, uh, I didn't realize it at the time that I was writing it primarily for, for parents and students of college age kids, uh, because they're the main activists. They're the ones who are affected by this right now. There are two tracks you can take. One is long term reform. The other is immediate reform. Long term reform is just that is we have to work with state legislators. If you if you were talking about public universities, we can also talk about federal funding at private universities, because we've seen as Hillsdale has found out that with, with federal money comes strings attached. Mm-hmm. And if universities are shown, private universities and public universities are shown to be violating the civil rights of students and staff and faculty on occasion um, by uh, conducting unsanctioned human research, human subject research in violation of, of IRB standards, common rule standards, violations of the 14th uh, uh, and First Amendments of the Constitution as well as the Civil Rights Act. If they can be found and shown to be doing that, federal dollars may be at risk. And that is something that most any university does not want to happen. Now, that's, but, but that's it's inverted, though, because right mm-hmm. now the abuse of the First Amendment is what gets the federal dollars in. If we protect people's First Amendment rights, they're going to be able to speak out against these very things, the DEI and all the – I can't even remember the alphabet right. soup SEL. anymore. Uh, yeah, SEL and all of this nonsense. And if you speak out against it, you are labeled a racist and you may be jeopardizing the federal well, booty – that you know that's coming your way as as a, if you're a school you administrator. I'll tell you this, Andy. Whenever uh, this this, if a student is called a racist or a white racist, it's not something that they should take standing uh, sitting down. Like I say that's hate speech. If you want to turn their own their own lingo against them, uh, the prohibition of so-called hate speech on campus. Whenever people express these types of uh, these accusations, that's slander. You call someone a racist, you damned well better be able to back it up. And I mean with examples, you better be ready with your lawyer. Uh, and I would tell someone to lawyer up if, if, they're get, if they are the victims of this type of slander, uh, white racism, wh- I'm sorry, uh, uh, white privileged, uh, white supremacist, racist. This is slander, uh, a clear slander. And I would say whenever, whenever you're called this, if you're called this, you respond um, uh, with, with all guns blazing. That's the way to put a stop to it. That's the way to do it immediately. On the campuses, parents and students can recognize the red flags of this type of brainwash when it's happening. There are clear indicators. I list all of these indicators in the book, Brutal Minds, uh, in the final chapter. I talk about long-term solutions. I talk about immediate solutions. 
And um, so, I, so, so, and, and just just to remind everybody in the listening audience, if you've just tuned in, you are listening to Stanley K. Ridgely, Ph.D., a professor at Drexel University, and our guest in studio today with his wife Lori. Uh, he's the author of Brutal Minds, The Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities. And while you still have the opportunity, give us a call at 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. And Dr. Ridgway, you indicated that you, when you wrote the book Brutal Minds that you were thinking of college-age students and their parents. I'm going to suggest that anybody who has a preschooler that hasn't even entered school yet, their parents need to read this right now because if you have the opportunity, find a way to not put your kids into a public school. That may be part of the solution as well. I certainly agree with that. Um, I will tell you the book is not simply for the folks that I mentioned. Those are the primary beneficiaries. Anyone who is interested in what is happening, if you want to understand what is happening on the college campuses and why these campuses are so resistant to reform, they seem so resilient, the victories are of the moment. You mentioned a couple of victories that you've uh, achieved in the past, Liz, and, and you said, well, it keeps coming back. It keeps coming back because the same people are in those positions of power. And people is policy. And unless these people are uh, removed or at the very least retrained uh, so that they understand that what they're doing is following a noxious ideology rather than doing the job that they were hired to do, and if they don't continue, if they don't do that job, they're going to be expunged from the university. Um, that's the problem. And that's what Brutal Minds talks about. And it talks about how to crack that into that uh, hard shell and break it and begin reform of our university. I don't really even know anybody else is doing as great as you. Did you ever think about running for office or maybe trying to get help to pass legislation to, you know, did you ever, has anybody done that? Have you done that? Do you think about doing that? They're giving you the stink eye, both of them. Well, I mean, it needs to be done. I tell you, I I ran a, uh, I'm running a a write-in candidate for mayor right now. You are? Yes, I'm kidding about that. Oh, you should. (laughs) You know, I I keep talking, I always talk about Jim Kinney, you know, and his, his, Uh he's the mayor of, uh, you you should, you should do it. Philadelphia, high crime, high taxes, the highest poverty rate, the poorest city, big city in America, and 70 years of Democrat rule. Things are so bad in Philadelphia that the police commissioner whose name is outlaw just resigned i mean it's just unbelievable how how crazy you couldn't write this stuff as a comedy skit i I did just screenshot that police uh philadelphia police commissioner daniel outlaw stepping down and heading for a job in new york Exactly. Well, she belongs in New York. She came from Portland, you know, right after well, the uh, the summer. You, you do of know love. that Jim Kenney uh, responded to uh, her resignation by congratulating her for her service and that kind of right. thing. But then said, you know, we we have these problems, and the problem is our gun laws are not stiff enough. Oh. Right, it's the gun laws. <laughs> That's it, the problem. No. Get rid of all all. Ice picks, too. So we have coming up on our 2 o'clock hour, and you're welcome to stay over, Dr. Ridge, because I think you'll enjoy our our next guest. It's going to be Sheriff Bunny, Carolyn Bunny Welsh from the former sheriff of Chester County, where they just had the second escape since May. This time it happens to be an illegal – I'm not going to use the word immigrant because he's not an, you're not an immigrant if you're illegal. You're an immigrant if you're legal. Somebody who broke into the country so they could murder somebody here after having killed somebody in their native South American country. Um, so now it's a two-time murderer. They broke in so they could break out of prison, 
and they're still on the loose in Chester County. So we're going to be looking forward to that. And I want to remind everybody that our own Stan Casaccio and his wife, Diane Cardano Casaccio, will be receiving the Friends of Zion Award tomorrow evening, September 7th, 2023, right across the street from where we're sitting today at the Hilton in Philadelphia City Line Avenue. Uh, for the Greater Philadelphia ZOA Gala, the 2023 Gala, I believe it is still possible to get tickets for this event by going to greaterphiladelphiazoa.com. I think that's the right email address. No, I'm sorry, ZOA Philly, Z-O-A-P-H-I-L-L-Y dot org if you want tickets. And you can also call the ZOA office at 610-860-9466 if you're interested in coming. And again, our own Stan Casaccio and his wife Diane will be receiving the Friends of Zion Award um, and back to Brutal Minds. Uh, so you started talking about solutions. We always like to, um, when we have a serious kind of an interview like this, that's talking about, uh, you know, we've, we tried to make a little bit of fun with it because if you don't laugh at this stuff, you're going to want to shoot yourself. Um, uh, so, yeah. So so what, it, what what can we do? What are the, You started to name some of the solutions. Can you give us a little bit more of how we can go about solving this problem and finding a way back to sanity through the education system in this country. One of the things I, I advocate in my book, and I, it, it, because there's such a parallel between cult activity and what's going on on the college campus, and a lot of the remedies for cults, deprogramming, that kind of thing, how to recognize the symptoms of cults and simply not cooperate. I will tell you this. If every college student who's an entering freshman, forget the ones who are already there, but the entering freshman were aware of what is in brutal minds and simply acted in a way that was in consonance with their individual rights, both constitutional rights and rights not to be experimented upon, not to be coerced, um, and to get the education they paid for, if every student acted in that way, this would end this would end within within uh, a week or two. Well, that's the solution to all the country's problems. In fact, the world's problems, if the people would just exercise right. their God-given power to maintain right. their freedom and liberty, we wouldn't have this kind of a situation. You know, one of the problems that I mentioned, I'm going back to what Liz said earlier when she was talking about the hoax that she had uh, witnessed and proved that wrong, yeah. that something never happened. Uh, I'll say this, how would, uh, how do these DEI people in general, but also the the extreme leftists on the campuses and off the campuses, respond to these types of what are called hate hoaxes. It, these are hoaxes that are, well, they're, they're events that supposedly occur. Everyone goes into a furor with a knee-jerk response, and suddenly we find out, well, the person was lying. It never happened. Uh, or they, they, they committed the something. They lied. They committed uh, the hoax themselves to attract attention. Well, the response that you get on this is, well, it's not – important whether it actually happened or not. What's important is that it could have happened. That's, What's important that's that ridiculous. people could have believed it. And you see this all the time. I I've could been, have been a contender, but exactly, I wasn't. Exactly. You get this kind of response. This is what I mean by rescue hypothesis or twisting or torquing the theory. You have a disconfirmation here. You have the examples of it. Well, that's, what's important is it could have been true. Well, there's a lot of things that could have been true. That, that makes zero well, sense. Poor kids it, are it, surrounded by sociopaths and narcissists. That is just like it's never ending. I personally took my kids out of school, public school, four years ago, and I did stop going to all the school board meetings. I think it's a great fight, and I, I went elsewhere. I can't do everything, but my message is get out because – 
no sooner you, do you get it out, it's right back. I, I don't think it's going – I think the school system needs to end the public schools. And I think you need to get out and that we need to stand up. I just would like to know how to get this information into these kids that are going to college into their hands. Like what is that, T- TPS or that, um, those teenagers that, that help do things? I forget what they're sure TPS Yeah, is. yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I will tell you that uh, one of the reasons you'll find that these types of victories that occur on the campus and um, are uh, tra- are transient, and what we have to do is follow up and make sure that they're uh, yeah. that they're uh, followed up and uh, ensure that. Well, it you're happens. doing a great job. Oh, thank, thank, you. thank you. So you're listening to the Don't Back Down Show today, hosted by Andy Tuttleman, co-hosted by Liz Deal, our executive producer. As Stan will not be not obviously not here this week, he will be back next week. Dr. Ridgely is the author of Brutal Minds, The Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities, also joined in the studio today with his wife, Lori, who made sure, and, and, and believe me, she is as lovely as you would need to be to be a, an NFL uh, cheerleader, but wonderful, great stories from Lori in terms of her, her experience of what it takes to be an educator in Pennsylvania, and what a terrible story that was. Now, Brutal Minds is available at all the usual suspect booksellers, including I hate to say Amazon, but that certainly is a place where this book can be obtained. And where else can they get the book, Dr. Ridgely? Well, Barnes & Noble, it was uh, up front. Uh, it's, actually, it was up front of the University of Pennsylvania bookstore for a short period of time, and I autographed some copies there. And uh, But at Barnes & Noble, um, in Books A Million, and of course Amazon, uh, in all three formats, Audible, Kindle, and hard copy. I, I recommend that everyone collect the complete set of three, all three. I, I'm in favor of that. So we have to go to a station identification. We'll be right back with Bunny Welsh. It's WWDB 860 AM Philadelphia and WPEN HD2 Burlington, Philadelphia. The American president is doomed. The little old man can barely move. If he moves too quick, he'll topple just like the domino. All right, we're back with the Don't Back Down show with Andy Tuttleman and Liz Deal. And on the phone with us is um, is our favorite former Chester County Sheriff, Bunny Welsh. Uh, and Bunny, before I turn to you, because your topic is way too serious to make fun of and, ma- and make jokes about. I just want to make an indication that we have Dr. You know, we still have Dr. Ridgely in, in the studio and he's signing uh, the two books, which we intend to give away to uh, callers today. Um, and that there is a book that was written about Joe Biden called Lucky that couldn't even sell 10,000 copies. So the author, uh, they pulled it off the shelf. They didn't, I think they did pull it off the shelves, but they skipped the book tour. And oh, no, it does. They, they pulled it off the shelves. And instead of being called Lucky, they're retitling it Not So Lucky. <laughs> so and now this is an actual from the Gateway oh, Pundit. <laughs> so, 81,000 million I, votes. Yeah. Yeah. Although uh, it says that he is selecting his own flavor of Jello now, so he has oh, improved well, in his competency, and I think for everyone. That, that's definitely a step upward. So, Sheriff Bunny Welsh, welcome Hi, Bunny. to the Don't Back Down Show. Hello, hello. How are you, Andy? Hi, Liz. Hi, How Bunny. are you today? Doing, doing terrific. I just want everyone in the audience to know that uh, that Bunny 
uh, and I spoke yesterday because there is nobody who would know more about what's happening in Chester County with the most recent jailbreak of uh, of this uh, illegal uh, person who um, is also a murderer, um, given that Bunny was on the prison board there and, and for years, and she was a sheriff for over 20 years. I just want to say that we got scooped by the Chris DeGaulle show because even though Bunny was booked with us first, they got her on uh, this morning, and she did a great job. And we are big fans of Chris's Bunny, so you know it's all in the family. And I'm just kidding around a little bit. Uh-oh, uh-oh, Bunny, Bunny stands on the what? phone. Stan Casaccio oh, is no. joining us. So, Stan, welcome to your oh, own yeah. show. Yeah, I'm out hiring some dogs so we can go find this guy. I just want to let you know. <laughs> Okay. Hey, hey, Stan, I'm sorry to interrupt. Dr. Ridgely has to go. So is there anything you want to ask him before he leaves? He's actually trying to leave. Uh, No, it's a great book, great interview, and appreciate uh, shining a light on something is really important. Yeah, well, William Michael's holding him down. William, let him go. (laughs) You can let him go now. Stan's done. Thanks, Stan. It's good to hear from you, Stan. I hope you're having a good time, and congratulations on the award you're going to receive. Yeah. Thank you, Stan. I appreciate that very much. We're looking forward to it. I'm going to head on back to the campus now. Thank you for coming, guys. Well, really I hope that it. is safe for you because yeah, I, I don't careful, know how you're, how, how you're surviving down there after writing this book. With, with, uh, let me just ask uh, Stan, is that your armored vehicle out in the parking lot? <laughs> uh, no, actually, but that's my Kevlar vest that I'm, that I'm getting ready to put on right now. <laughs> you guys are too well, talking about Kevlar vests, I think that Sheriff Bunny, the people uh, in Chester County right now are definitely nervous about having this, uh, uh, this this criminal on the loose. Uh, what's the latest? Is there any updates that you can share with us? Well, no. The search is continuing, and uh, this is into the seventh, actually the eighth day since he escaped. Uh, I want to make one statement first, and this is very important to emphasize. I want to thank the men and the women that are on the ground here. Uh, each and every day, of course, it's weltering heat. Uh, many of them are in tactical gear. Uh, they have been working, some of them, double shifts. Uh, every agency is here, federal, state, and local, from the U.S. Marshals to the state police. Since we're so close to the Delaware border, the Delaware State Police, the Maryland State Police, local uh, jurisdictions, uh, local police departments, fire police, I mean, uh, to these men and women that have been working for seven days, in sweltering heat, I have to give kudos to them. I have some other criticisms to make other in other places, but to them, I want to thank them and say how appreciative we are of their dedication. So, so Bunny, um, there was another breakout last May, the May of, of this year, correct? A similar kind of a breakout from the prison? That's correct. And according to information I've received, the MO was very similar, the same. Uh, it was an individual who was able, who was in a lighter security. Uh, he was not in as a convicted murderer, but was able to uh, get through, I understand, an exercise area, get up across the roof and escape, and was caught uh, pretty fairly quickly. This individual, Mr. Uh, uh, Cavalante is his name, uh, Danello Cavalante, who is a convicted murderer, not only here but in Brazil, uh, was being held. And my understanding is, uh, and this is hard to believe, that 
basically the same MO was used. He was able to scale a wall, climb over the roof, and climb out. And for some reason, uh, he was able to escape. It's unbelievable to me. It's total incompetence, and it's inexcusable. So during your tenure as a sheriff, were there any breakouts like this at all? Uh, I don't remember one of that high caliber. Uh, Usually, if somebody escapes, look, work release. uh, There's people on work release. uh, Well, they're already out, and they don't show back up. They've been given a high degree of trust. That's different. Yeah, they walk away, and that's considered, you know, an escape. And there's been some minimal types of things, but certainly nothing. And I served for 20 years, uh, reached this level. And I will tell you something, too. This this prison, or, or this the Chester County prison, is high tech. It's not an old facility. It's not some little old, like in the movies, a sheriff's office out in the wilderness with with a couple of cells and bars. This is high tech. This was rebuilt uh, several years ago. Uh, every possible surveillance uh, when you enter its uh, sally ports, doors closing behind you before they open in front of you. Every possible security. Uh, uh, measure was put in place and considered when this prison was built and rebuilt. So this is not people say, well, why was he kept in a county jail? This isn't a county jail. This is a county prison that has minimum, uh, maximum security and the ability to certainly keep the prisoners inside. So how is it even possible that a convicted murderer who broke into the country was able to break out of the Chester County prison um, and, and it's still on the loose. I, I, I'm baffled by this. Well, once again, I do, I do not want to criticize the men and women on the ground. And I am not privy. I'm not in the command center. I don't know the uh, incident command of this. Initially, when the breakout occurred, uh, I think the incident command was uh, Chester County or the DA's office or uh, DES. I'm not sure. Currently, I believe the incident command is under the Pennsylvania State Police. I'm not privy to the, uh, there have been sightings. Uh, Some sightings have not been verified. Some have been credible. It's very, very difficult terrain here. Uh, I live right in the neighborhood. In fact, I had um, people with ARs on my yard last night, you know, and helicopters are flying over now as we speak. So I'm, I'm five miles from the prison. Uh, as GPS, and I joked this morning with Chris, I said I'm five miles GPS, but I'm two miles as the crow flies or as the criminal runs. You know, I'm very <laughs> close. But, but it is very dense. It's wooded. There's a lot of big homes, but a lot of, uh, of uh, ground that's very difficult to get through. They're using um, helicopters. They're using planes. They're using all kinds of, I'm sure, night vision I don't know. Um, They've moved the perimeter a couple of times. Once again, I don't want to criticize because I don't know the information they're getting. I don't know uh, the kind of surveillance they're using. I don't know what's credible and not credible. So I don't want to criticize. But I will say this. Seven days is a long time. And in my opinion, and I'm going to get kind of personal about this, when Mr. Uh, Cabot Cavalcante first escaped. I don't know what was done immediately. I do know that had it been three years ago, the Chester County Sheriff's Office had at, had eight canines trained. 
And these are canines that are trained in uh, primarily in scent, S-C-E-N-T, scent. They're, they're trained as bomb dogs, uh, known as explosive. They're trained as drug dogs, known as narcotics. They're trained in accelerant, known as an arson dog, and trained in uh, human remains detection, known as a cadaver dog. That's their primary training. But each one of those were secondarily trained and very skilled in tracking, tracking. And that tracking skill is used for everything, lost children, uh, dementia or Alzheimer patients, fugitives. They, these dogs are amazing. And if immediately upon that escape, we had eight dogs, maybe only four of them would have been in service. I don't know, four handlers could have been on, on uh, vacation, maybe six of them, maybe all eight. If we'd have had those dogs there, right at the time of the break-in, before the ground was contaminated with anything else or anybody else, I can guarantee you, and I would, I would put money on this, I'll, I'll buy you lunch, I can guarantee you that we would have had him, I, I'm sure, within the day. So where are the um, dogs now? Lunch. What happened to these eight dogs? Well, uh, the sheriff's office now has two dogs, and they're That's two horrible. wonderful dogs. I they're two wonderful dogs. Uh, they are there, and a comfort dog, a courthouse comfort dog, which is used, of course, in the courthouse. Uh, that's it. Uh, various reasons. Dogs were taken from handlers. Uh, handlers retired. Uh, in one case since then, I think there's uh, been a dog who has passed. But they were never replaced. So Maybe, maybe the, we could get some dogs across the border. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, what I was saying is, if when the break, it, when uh, uh, Mr. Cavalcanti had first walked off, and remember, he walked out of the prison. He was not picked up. There's no indication he had help. So he walked out. So you would have had a clean walking trail. And I can guarantee you those dogs pick up the scent and they would have been on it. And the fact that they weren't, well, I think there's a question as to how quickly uh, everyone is notified. That's another area. That's a great question. I didn't hear you address that in your interview this morning. How long was it before they detected the fact that this person had broken out of the prison and actually put the alarm out to uh, to track him down? Well, I don't know that is detailed, and that's certainly uh, one thing I want to say. This whole thing deserves a deep investigation, and I don't know by whom, Andy. That's a good question. Uh, I don't know if it should be the state police. I don't know if it should be an outside agency, but it certainly deserves an explanation and a full investigation as to, one, how it happened, particularly since there was a similar escape back in May, and all the details as to when. When was, when was it found? When was his cell searched? When were the notifications sent out? When were the neighbors notified that there was someone? Uh, I've not seen that, and I don't want to speak and not be factual, but a full investigation should be made regarding the escape and what followed and what procedures and, and why it happened. And why did they lose them twice? They caught them twice and lost them. I mean, once. They caught them, well, they, they haven't caught them. Well, no. well they, were at, they, they were in chase, and then they didn't well, finish the chase because they couldn't or for whatever reason. Well, he was cited. Now, uh, there again, I can't answer that. Uh, I don't know the orders. I don't know what the orders are on the ground. There have been credible sightings, some by home surveillance cameras. Uh, I understand there was a sighting by a state trooper. 
but according to the density, you have to understand the terrain here. It's very dense. It's heavily wooded. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I don't want to criticize, uh, but I, I think there again, there's going to be a timeline. And once he is apprehended, hopefully and prayerfully without any injuries to anyone, uh, once he's apprehended, we will have more que- more answers to uh, this whole timeline and what has happened over the last seven days. So, Bunny, our production engineer, TJ, happens to live near the prison, and he's wondering if this has affected real estate values because he wants to move, and you're not giving him any confidence <laughs> right now. Well, I wouldn't put your house uh, up for sale today. <laughs> I do have a question, Hold though. Oh, okay, TJ Hold wants off. to ask you a question. This is a first, by the okay. way. Where, do you guys have an exact location on where he could possibly be? Because I heard last time he was in Longwood Gardens area. Yeah. Well, Longwood Gardens is a little further south on Route 1. Last night they were literally in my backyard, which is Pensbury Township. Uh, I Look, I don't think Mr. Uh, Cavalcanti has a GPS. I think he's probably uh, confused. He could be turned around. As I said, it's a, it, it's a dense area. The perimeter has changed several times. Uh, first, it was Longwood Gardens. Last night, it was right here in, in my neighborhood. They were sending drones. We had cars flashing. The helicopters were circling. This morning, I understand it has moved into another place. Now, there again, I, I, I don't know what is directing and guiding their search, but it has moved within the general area several times. Can I, can I, ask, get, a, can I get a question? And, uh, uh, Bunny, one of the things is, and it goes back to how this guy with a criminal record got into the country to, get, to begin with. That's number one. Uh, obviously, the answer is pretty, pretty straightforward yeah. in that we have no, no border protection at all. So all these criminals are coming in left and right. But how did he get into this country? Now, they're saying that he killed the, the girl, his, his uh, former girlfriend, stabbing her 38 times in front of her children. So this is a brutal, brutal guy, totally heartless at all. Uh, and it, it believe, they believe he's trying to get back to his home country. So obviously, uh, if he follows the son, he's probably going to be heading back to the border. And I think the border is even more porous going the other way. Uh, back uh, through Mexico again. But when you look at the underbrush and everything else there, helicopters flying over and planes flying over, it's very difficult to see anything. Uh, mm-hmm. Is anybody bringing any other dogs in to help find this guy at all? I understood the first couple of days they were able to acquire a canine, a couple canines, I think, from maybe Delaware County or Philly. Uh, there was another one or two came from Harrisburg, uh, with the state police. Uh, I don't know how many canines are on the ground now, but there again, um, it depends on the kind of dog, you know, uh, tracking dogs. Uh, there's been so many days now, unless uh, I heard they had found a piece of clothing, his original uh, prison issued shirt. Uh, if they got a fresh scent, they might be able to track, but you're right, Stan, this is very dense and it's very difficult. And I got information and I think this is credible. This is a little, well, I know it's, this is credible. He's a little tiny guy. He's five foot tall, 120 pounds. He's from Brazil. I understood he's a trained survivalist. So this is a guy that is, this is, he, it may, look, Chad's Ford and Chester County may be strange, 
but his techniques and her, her survival training or experience or whatever you could call it is, is uh, something that he may be using. He was able to break into a home uh, the first day or two, get some food, some supplies, fruit or whatever. He's by the Brandywine River so he could get water. Uh, the heat, of course, is brutal, but he's from Brazil. Um, you know, he's a wily little guy. And, and let me say something else, too. This guy is in, as we all know, there's fight or flight, okay? This guy is not in fight, okay? Not that he's not dangerous, believe me. I mean, I wouldn't want, you know, if he confronts you and he's trying to, if you, it's between you and the food, I wouldn't want to be there because he may have picked up a knife in, in one of the early homes he broke into. But he's trying to flee. He's not trying to fight. He's not Charles Manson's going to break into your house to slash you. He may break into your house to try to get uh, supplies. But this guy wants to get out of here. And I think he may have survivalist instincts, but I don't think he has any uh, ability to geographically. He keeps moving around in the same kind of area. So I think, I'm hopeful, he just finally wears out. You know, they just finally wear him down. And uh, I think that's the hope of the state police. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Blevins spoke about that, that they just want to wear him out. Uh, they did do something interesting. They had his mother uh, do a recording. She's in Portuguese, and they've been uh, blasting it from uh, the planes to try to plead with him to turn himself in and surrender. Uh, well, why uh, would he? They, why would he listen? To, why would he listen to his mother? He probably never listened to her to begin with. That's you know, to me, it's <laughs> you know, stabbing somebody thirty-eight well, times. Uh, he, I don't think he's uh, his mom's going to have much to do with this. The interesting thing is, we see this mo throughout the nation right now. These illegal immigrants that come over, these gang members, MS-13. These are some hideous yeah. people committing rapes and murders all over the place. And it's a very simple solution. Close the damn border. Let's stop this people coming in and destroying us. Not only is it down, is, is it, our securities at, at risk, the American citizens are at risk, the environment is being destroyed by these people. You bring in 33 million people, 22 to 33 million people. What the heck do you think that does to environments? We've got liberals who don't want them in their neighborhood. They don't want density. But where are you going to put 33 million people? That they make no sense at all. So just close the damn border, and we can eliminate probably 95% of these problems. And you you haven't even mentioned the fentanyl deaths and everything, too. No, the idea, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the look, everyone knows, except they don't admit, some of them don't admit, there is a crisis at the border. And I will tell you, I have to go back to when President Trump was first elected, and he, he was uh, – after he, one of the first meetings he ever had, he came into office in January uh, of 2017. One of the first meetings he had, and I was privileged to attend that meeting, he called in uh, some sheriffs from across the country. I was from Pennsylvania. He had one from California, uh, Michigan, Texas. He called in the FBI. He called in Border Patrol. He, called, he, he had a roundtable, one of the first meetings he had, and he was so intent on on making uh, sure that we all knew that he was the law and order president. And he didn't call us in to talk to us. He called us in to listen to us. 
and he went jurisdiction by jurisdiction, state by state, whoever was there, and said, what can I do for you? What can we do for you? And he stayed focused on that the whole time he was there, closing the border, listening to law enforcement, working with federal, state, and local. That was one of his missions. That was one of his strengths. And that's gone, Stan. You're right. There's not only no respect for law enforcement, there's no support, there's no, in my opinion, no communication. And the idea that now we have total incompetence, and we have them here now in our county, Uh, you know, the prison board. Uh, Let's look at the prison board, who's been on the prison board since this breakout in May. Where were they to make some changes in the prison between uh, May and August? I didn't see any changes made. I'm reading right now there were no changes, and I guess he just crawled into the roof and jumped off just like the last guy. Yep. Yeah, so the first guy escapes, think about this, in May, and nothing is done. Well, supposedly, supposedly I just read read an article that they've uh, put some razor wire around the the beams that they were (laughs) able to use to get to the other offices. So there was some security people that came in and said, listen, you got to put some razor wire there in that area. Yeah. But it goes back, it, it, you know, this whole, this whole issue goes back to the open borders problems that we have and the complete absurdity of the progressive liberal Democratic Party <clears throat> and their idea of one world globalism. Uh, it just doesn't work. It, it's chaos. It's absolute chaos because these people coming in, they don't understand the American system. They want to work. They want to. Do, a lot of these people are just a hardworking people. I see them every day. Sure. Uh, but there's so many bad people there. You cannot have an open border and allow this to happen. You really can't. And I'll tell you what. What makes me? Uh, it, it gives me some concern and even some anger. Right here in the county, I see all of these efforts being made for these other issues. Okay, so you have to hang a pride flag in front of the courthouse, and you have to do all these kinds of other things. We've got a convicted murderer running loose, and and we've got people that are in charge that seem to, don't take it seriously. This is public safety. This is the job of government to protect us, and I don't see it happening. And I'm like I said, I'm, I'm very uh, not only disappointed but angered over the lack of concern uh, with taking care of the public. That's your job. That's horrible. $10,000 well, reward, that's rem- all they're asking. But you got to remember, yeah. the cartel, as we know, the, the, the people trafficking business that they're in is worth trillions of dollars today. And that dark money is seeping into our politics, is seeping all over the place, uh, and, and people are cashing in on it. So that's why we probably see a lot of these politicians going easy on this stuff. Uh, I mean, I'd like to trace the money where these people are coming. These cartels, you know, are 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 very corrupt. They add to the corruption in our our political system, to our bureaucracy, to everything else. People have to be aware of that. Why are so many of our politicians getting money from outside the state? Most of them, most of their campaigns are being funded from dark money outside the state. That people have no vested interest in our state uh, at all. And I think uh, I think I believe Josh Shapiro, for example, our governor, received the bulk of his money from coming in from outside the state. Uh, this is just wrong at every level because uh, they don't represent us, the people of Pennsylvania or the people of of Delaware. They're going to represent the people who give them the money. And if it's coming in from dark money from these cartels, from drug cartels and things like that, there has got to be so much money flying around. It's got to be absolutely incredible what's happening.
Well, you hit the nail on the head. It's always follow the money, isn't it, Stan? Follow the money. Ask, and the problem absolutely. is you don't. Or or you, don't, or you can check out Hunter or you can check out Hunter Biden's laptop and figure out how to follow the money too. That's very simple. Well, it's pretty clear that the the man sitting in the Oval Office right now has been compromised. He's been compromised in China, Ukraine, whatever. He's been compromised, and that is certainly impacting our national security. And you are right, Stan. I don't know how many people have been compromised. That's the, the national level, the federal level. How many have been compromised on the state level? Uh, I don't have the answer to that. I only know that the priorities have changed. So, and the priorities are all of these other things. So, you know, so diversity. Sure. I'm sorry, Bunny. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll finish your thought. Go ahead, Andy. Uh, so, so Sheriff Caroline Bunny Welsh, uh, what recommendations do you have for the public at large, given that this uh, this murderer, this two-time murderer, is still lurking in Chester County? Uh, how would you advise the public in terms of if they should encounter him, uh, what should they do or not do? What, what's your advice to the public? Well, you certainly don't want to encounter him. Um, like I said, he's a small guy. He'd be easy to recognize. Uh, you certainly don't want to uh, confront him. As I said, I don't know what weapons he has. There's no indication he has a firearm. Uh, however, he could have knives because he did break into a house, and he could have knives. You certainly want to avoid, and you certainly want to, uh, you know, everybody keep their, uh, be aware and be alert and keep their doors locked. They've closed the schools. What a shame. The kids are here in Unionville and down in Kennett. They're on remote learning uh, so it has pretty much paralyzed the area. But as I said, I don't think this guy, uh, he's crazy and he's a murderer and he's, vi- and he's vicious and he's dangerous. But I think he's looking to escape. And nobody should get in the way of that and risk themselves. But uh, they certainly need to be aware because he's a killer. He's a stone cold killer. So it's a good idea for people to keep their doors that. locked. That's for sure. I understand their I, I understand that the, in order to protect yourself, you have to wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you, it has it frightens people. Or, uh, or take the vaccine, or take the two hundred and thirtieth dose of vaccine to protect yeah, well, you, might, and you'll be fine. I wonder if he's vaccinated. He came over the border. Who knows? No, he's definitely not. No, there was nobody, that. They, there was never up. a requirement for that. Not if you're not legal, no vaccine required. We should check on our loved ones. Anybody who hasn't heard from somebody, you know, maybe, you know, because he could be holding them up. If you haven't, everybody should check on each other. Make sure you hear from everybody. Well, well, that could be the other danger. Could he take a hostage or something? But like I said, I think his idea is flight. It's not to get into something. And let's get back to what you said, Stan. You know, elections have consequences. Uh, We have... uh, uh, prison board consists of seven people, uh, seven members of the prison board, and that's the uh, three commissioners, the DA, the sheriff, the controller, and the president judge. Well, the current DA and the sheriff are both busy right now running for court of common police. They're running for judge. So the DA and the sheriff want to be judge, and the two commissioners, Democrat commissioners, are running again for commissioner. So four of the members of the prison board are now running for election or re-election. I think people should take a long, hard look at who's in charge. And I think they should understand that our votes do count and elections have consequences. And we need to address 
who's in charge because this is an epic failure, not only on the county level, well, not only in the jail level or the prison level, but in the county level. You know, who's, who's managing things? Uh, what did the minutes say after the break in and, or break out in May? What was done? What was handled? What was addressed at the prison board? Um, these are serious things. People's, people are, you know, their lives are endangered now. We've got men and women out there, uh, you know, in, in pounds of gear, uh, risking their lives for a crazed maniac that should have never been, well, should have never been in the country, number one, but certainly should have never escaped from the Chester County prison. So, Sheriff Bunny Welsh, uh, stay with us. We're going to take a brief break for a sure. commercial. And when we return, uh, TJ, give us number two. To give you the true value of your home, a robot or a realtor. A robot uses data points and algorithms and incorrect courthouse records to determine your home's value and does not know your beautiful neighborhood, landscaping, and interior finishes. A realtor like me, Diane Cardano from the Cardano team, comes inside your home, sees all the love that went into your upgrades, sits down and listens while you go over your complete list of wonderful updates and repairs since you lived in the home. Then I take my 30 years of knowledge, experience to determine your home's value. Call me Diane Cardano to gain free access to my pinpoint pricing that gets my clients the list price and up to 10% more. Right now, it's a seller's market, inventory is low, and buyers are waiting for your home to go on the market. Also, don't forget to order a free copy of my home selling book that reveals all my secrets to a successful home sale in 2023. Call 215-576-8666 or go to dianecardano.com. She is a renowned constitutional scholar. Joining me now is Jonathan Turley, professor of law at George Washington University and Fox News contributor. Professor, does getting left-leaning state attorneys general, as Adam uh, Schiff was referring to, getting them involved here, does that give this wacky 14th Amendment strategy any more heft or credibility? I don't think it does. You know, there are there are academics that have thought about this seriously and have supported this theory. I think that it's the most dangerous theory that has emerged in decades. I think it's entirely unsupported uh, by the text and the history of the 14th Amendment. This provision was written after the Civil War of an actual rebellion where hundreds of thousands of people died. Uh, there was an army on the other side. They had their own foreign policy. Uh, that's a rebellion. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it can't be used for anything that isn't of that magnitude. But it is notable that Trump has not been charged even with incitement, let alone rebellion or uh, insurrection. And yet they say that this doesn't even require an act of Congress, that any judge can simply announce that he was supporting an insurrection and that he is therefore disqualified and voters will not get the choice of whether to vote for him or not. That's what makes this so dangerous. I don't think this will withstand review. They could end up getting a couple of judges to go with them. But in the long run, I think it'll be rejected. That's why I'm eager for them to take it to court so we can finally put this on the road and see if they can take it off, you know, get this off the ground. I, I don't think it will. I can uh, imagine what Justice Alito and a few of the others would uh, say <laughs> about this. I mean, talk about anti-democratic. This is, this is the ultimate anti-democratic move that you could think about. Like, it doesn't matter what yeah. the people want, uh, whoever the nominee is. If they want Trump, if, if it wasn't Trump, you know, DeSantis would be 
you know, they, they try to charge him with kidnapping the migrants and sending them to, you know, Massachusetts or, you know, California. I mean, you, you can see that this would could go in a lot of different directions, none of them good. No, I mean, this is a comforting tale to tell uh, liberal children at night so they can sleep restfully. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, Donald Trump will not be on the ballot, uh, but he will be on the ballot. So, so, Bunny, I played the Donald Trump piece for two reasons. One, you were on a law enforcement commission with him. And I want to follow that quickly with another article that I read today that they did a survey of Washington, D.C. residents who would qualify to be on a jury. 64% of D.C. residents would find Trump guilty before a trial even begins, and only 8% would find him innocent. Now, the fact that this is before the trial begins uh, is scary enough because the real answer, if you were an American and you were taught civics, is I don't know. I need to hear the evidence and, fair, and weigh, fair, weigh it fairly before I reach any conclusions. So the fact that we have this kind of a um, – disparity and how desperate whoever it is, and we know who it is, the Democrats are in coming after him, they're, they're not satisfied with four indictments. Now they're twisting the 14th Amendment to contort, and, and I've never seen anything like this in my life, to prohibit him from, from running for office just in case the indictments don't work. Now, I know you're a personal friend of the president's. Where, where do you, wh- wh- how do you feel about this? I'm thoroughly disgusted, and, and, and you're an attorney, I'm not, but one of the things that really offends me about all of these things and the obvious overcharging and the obvious uh, wanting to just take them out any way possible is one other thing they violated, which really should concern you as an attorney, is the lawyer-client privilege. Like, that is always something sacrosanct. I'm not Catholic, but I know Catholics, when they talk to their priests, it's supposed to be, you know, uh, private. Same with talking with your lawyer. That's gone now, Andy. It's totally it's gone. gone. They, they invented something called the crime fraud exception. And it's amazing because right. the people who get to invoke that is your opposition, which would be the prosecutors. And then they go in front of a judge. They make their argument. And before you know it, the judge says, OK. And, then, and now the lawyer is turned against their own client so that clients can no longer have open and honest conversations with their lawyers knowing that they're protected no matter what. Listen, if you can't prove the crime without going after the lawyer of the defendant, then you can't prove the crime. And that's how it used to be. But you're right. Now, there is one time when a priest or other cleric is required to speak against their their congregant, and that would be if they know about a crime they are planning to commit and believe they are about to commit a crime or, 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 you know, or setting in motion to commit a crime, then they need to contact the authorities. But other than that, if they walk into the uh, confessional and they say, I murdered whoever, um, they, the, the priest cannot be called to testify against the congregant. But that's not true for lawyers anymore, and that is a sad state of affairs. You are so right. Very sad. And the other thing is the attack. Uh, and the vilification and the attack on any lawyer that in any way represents President Trump, uh, from Rudy Giuliani to anybody, to make them not only fearful, but threaten them if they in any way represent the president, to try to make it so he is not able to hire or retain competent counsel. Well, if you can't beat him, 
really beat them because you take away all their opportunities. There's nothing fair. There's nothing um, that that is uh, due process about this. And and here's the part that scares me the most. Besides the 64 percent of of Washington residents who believe he's guilty, and the eight percent who would find them innocent, nobody should be finding him anything till they've heard the evidence at a trial. So you add those two together, and what do we get? Seventy two percent of Washington D.C. People who were interviewed, and if that's a representative sample, that's scary. That's Washington D.C. I would have thought it'd be higher. It's not even really. It's seventy-two percent. That that's three <laughs> quarters of the population. Is really not even part of our country. Basically, like that's not a good rep. Let's do it any other state. Well, so but it doesn't matter. The fact that these people have no clue about basic American the constitutional rights, the constitutional structure is disgusting, and it goes right back to what Dr. Ridgely and Brutal Minds are discussing, the corruption of our education system, so much so that the average American no longer knows what it means to be an average American. Well, yeah. that's because these, prose- these prosecutors follow their own constitution. It's known as the Bananic Republic Constitution. So just keep that in mind. We are a banana republic right now because there are two-tiered justice systems. There's probably a three-tiered justice system because they got a total different justice system for the January 6th people. So that's that's even worse yet. And speaking of January 6th people, our guest next week is Will Pope, one of the um, January 6th prisoners. He is going to be our guest next week. I just wanted to uh, go right into that. Did, did we meet him at the uh, yeah. event at Bedminster? Yeah, yeah when we yes, went we, to see President. Yes, we did. Yes. We did meet him. Yes, we did. And, yeah, and so, you know, a lot of people don't hear these stories. They're really, really uh, tragic, so it'll be a good show to tune into. I heard that there was recently another J6er, a 22-year-old who committed suicide. Yeah, I heard that. Really, really tragic. Mm. So sad. I'll I'll tell you what broke my heart when I was with you guys last week at Bedminster. To, uh, Liz, you'll remember we were standing in line, and here's these three beautiful little boys. I don't know. I'm going to say they were, what, six, eight, and ten, mm-hmm. uh, wearing their little Make America Great Again hats. And I think there was one one other boy, maybe a teenager. And uh, I think, Liz, you engaged in conversation with them, and <clears throat> as did I. And their dad was there. And here's four little boys, four, four boys, whose mom was charged. Now, she has been on house arrest so she's been able to stay with her family but in talking to the father of these beautiful little boys he said her sentencing was scheduled for next month which I guess would be this month because we were there a couple weeks ago and I said to him and it broke my heart what are they asking for and he said five years and that's one of the later sentences yeah. Five years to take mother away from her little boy. It's it's tragic. This and this new one, this new boy that just uh, committed suicide. Sadly, he he did that because they told him. I forget how many years, but be, he didn't even get to jail yet because they scared him so much with the length of time. He just couldn't handle it. So, if you were wondering how, Bunny, I was going to tie this back into uh, what we were talking about, what's going on in Chester County, if President Trump were still the president, it's not. It's very likely that the fellow who's running around loose now would not even be in Chester County because we'd have a border, we'd have fences, and we'd have a program for deporting people uh, before they commit these heinous crimes. So it may never have happened. So Danilo Cavalanti would not be on the loose right now running around Chester County and God only knows uh, putting people at risk. And I don't believe the... J6 people would be in the position they find themselves in today. Uh, They certainly should have been treated no worse 
than the summer of love Antifa and BLM people who were blowing up cities and taking over government buildings. Uh, I, I haven't forgotten Portland where they took over the entire government district, including federal buildings. And when I talk to my Democrat friends who just don't want to give it up by admitting that our two-tier justice system is slanted in one direction and one direction only and how unfairly these people are being treated, I say to them, don't you see it? We're heading to totalitarianism. If you silence one side of an argument, it's not that long before the other side falls into the same trap. They're just using you to so that they can promote themselves now. They're stealing your power so they, they can take away our power and then end up taking away all of our power. You're, you're not immune to this. You're just not first in line. And, and, and I can't make them see what's going on. Our country is, is, is in very, very bad shape right now. Um, we can all stand the civics lesson, that's for sure. And what does Donald Trump say? They're not after me. They're oh, after dear. you standing in the way. That's right. And boy, that is true and that is powerful. And uh, look, I have some people I talk to and you, you want to say to them, what are you thinking? What are you listening to? How are you being um, influenced that you don't open your eyes and see what's happening in this country? Whether you like Trump or not, just everything that's happening. And, and uh, it just baffles me. You're right. Andy, that they're just clueless, and uh, it's here. It's coming. It's not happening. It's here. So, Bunny, stay with us. I'm going to have our producer play number five, and we're going to talk about that right after that's done. We've been having fun with this roundtable business the last few weeks, and it's popular with the audience, and we like doing it. So listen to this. The new McCarthyism, which we're living through today, is all about the future. It's about young kids in colleges and universities who in 10 years will be the editorial board of the New York Times, the head of various networks, members of Congress, and in 20 years, president of the United States. So I'm so worried that the new woke McCarthyism, intolerance for different points of view, intolerance for due process, intolerance for the rule of law, we want our results, we want them now, and we don't want anything to stand in the way. We want to make sure Trump can't run for president. We don't care how much of the Constitution we have to compromise to get there. We only care about that. That's what the people said during the McCarthy period. Communism is so dangerous and so bad. They're going to take over the world. They're going to bury us. We don't care about civil liberties. We don't care about free speech. There have been many times in our history we thought it's different now. It's different. And therefore, the Constitution should be ignored. It's never different. They said it was different when they put 110,000 Japanese Americans in camps. No, the Constitution was designed to protect against that. And it's not different today. I don't want Trump to be elected. I'm going to vote against him. But I have to tell you, seeing him elected would be a lot less bad than seeing the Constitution destroyed in the name of preventing him from preventing the public from deciding who the next president should be. So Dershowitz confuses me all the time because the guy gets it right. (laughs) And yet he can't let go of his leftist inclinations and he thinks that getting Trump elected, it won't be as bad as destroying the Constitution. So I'll give him a little credit for that one. Mm-hmm. But that shows uh, you where I, we I'll are. Tell you, I can't I can't see him voting for Biden. I, I, I don't yeah. think he would vote for Biden. <laughs> I don't think Biden's going you know to vote for Biden this time. But that's if he remembers to vote. You know what Trump's no, about? He, yeah, but he'll do a, he'll do a mail-in ballot. <laughs> or you someone will Trump for him. 
He yeah. said he doesn't believe him. He said, I don't believe him. I think he voted for me. Of course, that's Trump being <laughs> funny. But he said, he said, I don't believe him. I think he really voted for me. Oh, I love Trump. I do, too. I don't know yeah. how you can be intellectual and aware and well-informed and not given a choice between Joseph Robinette or Robert Baron Biden, whatever his middle name is, um, <laughs> and Donald Trump. How you can not vote for Donald Trump? I guess it's a lot like not voting for Doctor Oz, but voting for Brain Dead Fetterman. And and I don't believe that happened either. I think no. that it's a tribute to what's left of our election system, if you even want to call it that. And Andy, did you see the other uh, the other day? Biden walked out. It was such an embarrassment. I was like shrinking in my chair. He walked out in the middle of a Medal of Honor ceremony, and you could see the yeah. disappointment on the service man's eyes. What, what time was it? <laughs> no, I'm serious. When he walked out, what time? I. I don't know. Was it around three thirty? Because that's ice cream time. Oh my gosh! He left. No, this I think it was his nap. I think it was his nap. I think it was his nap time. He left this poor <laughs> hero guy up there standing all by himself, all alone, and the, and the face, the, the face that he had—it was such an embarrassment. Like it's the worst thing yeah. I ever saw. Yeah. He was. He was. Yeah. This well, guy's like supposed to be in the pinnacle of his military achievement, like- and and he had to face this. And it's horrible. I don't know if you saw that. Well, I well, think. I, like the song I think. Yeah, it's Dan. I think a lot of them know. I think. Uh, go ahead, Stan. I was just going to say it's very simple. Uh, just like the this song says, he walks like Joe Biden to his own his own beat. Oh I hope President Trump honors <laughs> this this man that had to go through this when he gets back in there. Well, you know the, the people the people that don't like Trump uh, or say they don't don't like his tweets, don't like what he says, blah blah blah. You know. Anyone who really knows him and has spent any time with him, I will tell you, if you're sitting one-on-one with him, he's a very soft-spoken uh, man. He is engaged. He listens. He doesn't talk. He listens. He wants to hear what you have to say. He has eye contact. He's soft-spoken. He's caring. Uh, there, there's a wonderful, compassionate, caring Donald Trump. Now, you don't see that at a rally. You know, he's waving and pointing at the fake news and all that kind of stuff. That's the showbiz stuff. But uh, I will tell you a quick story uh, where uh, when I encountered some time with him, he was doing a a meeting on the border. And uh, I had called. We have uh, uh, someone here in Chester County who lost his son to fentanyl. And this was a couple of years ago before people were openly talking about fentanyl. And I called him and I said, look, I will be with the president tomorrow. And if I'm fortunate, they will seat me next to him at the at the uh, in the Roosevelt room or in the uh, cabinet room, wherever we met. And I said, would you write me a letter about your son and I will give it to the president? And he did so. He wrote a beautiful letter about his son, Ben, and uh, how he had gone into Kensington one night. 45 minutes from beautiful, bucolic Chester County, picked up some a package of drugs that was laced with fentanyl, and they found him dead in his bed. Mm. I can't even imagine horror of that. And I took a letter, and it was a picture of the boy. And I took a letter, and I read it to the president, and I made a copy, and I gave one to Kellyanne. And after, and this is the real President Trump, <clears throat> I read it to him, and he patted me on the hand. He said, you know, give them my best. And we went around the room. After the press left and after the room was cleared, and I was just sitting there with the president, he slid that letter over, he took his Sharpie, and he wrote a personal note to the mother and father and said, 
you know, Ben is looking down. God bless you. I love you. And signed it. That's beautiful. That is who he is. Yeah. Now, nobody knows that story unless I tell you. Mm -hmm. There was no press. There weren't other people around. I got back to the hotel. I called uh, uh, his dad. And he said, "Did did you get my letter to the president? I said, oh, better than that. I have a handwritten note from you. Uh, from him, from the President of the United States to you, the parents. And the last line in his letter was, please build the wall. And he now has that picture, he now has that handwritten note uh, framed next to a picture of his son. That is Donald Trump. He didn't need to do that. That is a beautiful story. I've heard a lot of stories like that. He is a beautiful, caring person. That's a great story. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, these stories aren't told because people don't experience them. But when you do, you think, wow, this is the true man. This is what he's about. So all the bluster and all his pointing and the, and the rally stuff, that's good. I like it. It revs up the crowd. But there's a wonderful, caring man who's a true patriot and loves this country underneath because he didn't have to do this. <laughs> he didn't need fame. He didn't need fortune. He loves this country, and there's a caring, compassionate man. And, man, I am on that Trump train, as I know you are, Liz. Oh, I know yeah. everybody on this. And I'm not budging. And uh, I think he's the only one that can straighten this out, and he knows where the bodies are buried, and he knows this time who he can trust, which he didn't know yeah. the last time. He's the only one ready uh, to jump in on day one and not make the mistakes. Yep. There's no learning curve, and he certainly learned yep. from his first four years. But, Bunny, if you're in support of, of, of Donald Trump, I want to tell everybody that on Saturday, September 16th, from noon to 4 p.m., at the Trump Store in Ben Salem, the Right for Bucks Trump Store Rally to Save the Republic, which is a free, open-to-the-public event, will take place. The Trump Train Band, led by uh, Andy Meehan, will be there. Um, and the Trump Store is located at 2060 Street Road in Ben Salem, PA. And go visit them at TrumpStorePA.com and say hello to Lisa V. They're all listening to us right now. So, again, that's the Right for Bucks Trump Store Rally to Save the Republic at on September 16th. It's a Saturday uh, from from noon to 4 p.m. And you will get to hear the Trump Train uh, Band do its wonderful parody songs and the regular music that they play so well, too. Um, and I have uh, we, we did not read um, the COVID protection plan from Roofing Dynamics Group yet. So for our listeners who own or manage large commercial properties, have you ever had any roofing issues? Do you even know the true condition of your roof? Roofing is something that you don't think about until you have a problem, and by then it's too late to avoid costly repairs or replacements. Did you know that early that nearly every large flat roof has a leak at some point? Whether from a severe storm or age, even a small leak can have devastating effects on your building and its occupants. With so much at stake, be proactive and call Roofing Dynamics Group, the trusted advisor you need to tell you the true condition of your roof. Utilizing modern technology such as infrared scans, moisture probes, and even drone scans, Roofing Dynamics can pinpoint immediate problems before they become huge problems with precise accuracy. They can evaluate just how long your commercial roof will last and provide recommendations and budgets that will save you money. For a free preliminary survey of your commercial roof, call Roofing Dynamics at 215-491-9000 and ask for Audrey or visit them online at www.roofingdynamics.com. Again, 215-491-9000 or www.roofingdynamics.com. 
So uh, we're coming up on the last few minutes of our show. Um, Bunny. Can I, can I, I wonder, uh, no, I Stan, one, it's your show. You don't get to say yeah, anything. No, no, no. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, yeah, did you hear that? T- uh, no, I don't know if TJ yeah. came over the air. He said into the headset anyway that your voice got deeper. We miss you, Stan, and we love you. I, it did. It, it, it did. It did get deeper. No, but I was, you know, reading about the Proud Boys, uh, uh, supposedly the head uh, guy. His name is Enrique Tarino. And when you think about why they went after him, uh, first off, he was, uh, you know, uh, arrested for allegedly defacing a Black Lives Matters flag. That's why he wasn't in Washington on the 6th. They said he's in charge. But this goes much deeper. Uh, This is, they're after him because he represents, he's Cuban. He He knows what it's like to live under communism. And he is Hispanic. So the Democrats, uh, as they do with the conservative black members, uh, which basically they call them Uncle Toms, they want to go after this guy because he represents a large number of Hispanic voters who are supportive of the American dream and the American idea. There's a lot more to this story than just uh, the January 6th. These people are creating the new gulag that they all want to put us into. Yeah. And, uh you know, it, it's really when you read about Enrique, you can understand why they went after him. He's Hispanic. He represents a large amount of Hispanic votes supporting Trump uh, and just supporting the American dream, as well as conservative blacks. They go after conservative blacks on a regular basis. Um, so if you want to know where the real racism is, it's in the Democratic Party. That's right. Right. And if I could take a minute to make uh, one last comment, too. At 4.30 today in Chester County, in front of the Chester County Courthouse, our uh, two uh, candidates for commissioner, uh, uh, Eric Rowe and Dave Summers, and our candidate for district attorney, Ryan Hyde, will be uh, meeting to discuss the current situation. I have not seen anyone from the other side come out and make any public statements. So today at 4.30 at the Chester County Courthouse, they will be addressing this uh, uh, prison situation. Is that going to be a public news conference or just something where they're meeting privately? No, it's public. It'll be in, in the courthouse in front of the the, uh, the uh, historic courthouse, not the Justice Center in front of the historic courthouse. Well, what a show today. I mean, we, we've covered the gamut. We had Dr. Stanley K. Ridgely, author of Brutal Minds, um, in the first hour. And That book is a must-read for anybody who has children or if you're just a taxpayer and you're concerned about how your public uh, education dollars, your taxes are being spent. Um, And in the second hour, we were joined by our dear friend, uh, Sheriff Bunny, Carolyn Bunny Welsh. I know she doesn't like the Carolyn part, but I want to make sure everyone knows your full name. But we we just call her Bunny. Um, And talking about the escapee, uh, the Chester County escapee, Danello Cavalanti, the second escapee in the last four months. This one is a two-time murderer, and he broke into the country so he could break out of the Chester County prison and wreak havoc on everybody. And, uh, wow, what what a week. And, and I, I think you announced, Liz, who our guest next week is, but why don't you say it again? Uh, yeah, Will Will Pope, who is one of the a January 6th prisoners. Yeah, and he's going to come and tell his story. And we met him. Uh, there was a, a fundraiser for the J6 families, and President Trump was there. We met him there and asked him to come on. All right, so we're going to leave the show today with uh, 81 million, million votes, my A, uh, which is our favorite ending song, and I think it's as appropriate as it can get. So thank you, everyone, for listening to the Don't Back Down Show. We'll see you ago, next week on the radio. That I would be in the middle of a political movement. I would have said, put down Hunter's crack pipe.